Good morning. We have James Fitzgerald. You are actually the, I think you're the very first CrossFit Games champion that we've had on the podcast. So welcome. Oh, well, thank you. Is, is that still something that you hear a lot about? I mean, you know, since 2007, the Games has manifested into a whole new beast. Do, do people still stop you now because of your championship or because all you've done in the fitness world? Oh, if, if there's a stop, it's definitely because they recognize my face probably from uh, a CrossFit uh, movie or just traditional uh, traditional YouTube videos or videos that were shared by CrossFit back in the day for sure. So, you know, you are probably, you know, I would, I would dare say one of the most successful champions out there. Obviously, you have the people that have been, you know, growing like the Fronings and the Frasers who because they've you know, been champion, they get spotlighted specifically in that arena, but you've really taken it and created a whole new company, a business, a whole new life for yourself from it. I know you were already in the works with part of it, but can you, can you tell me, it's certainly a broad question, but can we dive into that right away? Just how you went from, Hey, I competed at the games. I won, came back in 08. And now I've created OPEX, this online and, and in-person training. Yeah, I guess you'd have to define what success is before you try to compare the two. Um, secondly, I don't think it was on the base support of winning that developed my business. Um, I think it would have happened anyways. It's just that being an early adopter to the sport and also um, just being there, you know, um, in the trenches in the early years uh, allowed me, I guess, to to see this new tool and to kind of blend it inside of what I was offering anyways for fitness and then into fitness coaching. Um, so I think that, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was unintentional. Um, but, uh, yes, yeah, certainly, I guess, uh, if you were to use that, you know, bubble of previous champions and what they've done past that, um, I think just give it time because <laughs> I, I was old when I, older when I won too. I mean, when I was competing, I was 33 at 34. Um, so, you know, just in recognition, I'm 46 now. So, you know, I probably should be doing something with my life at this point in time. Um, you know, well, you, you certainly came, it, it's not that you came into the sport late. It's that the sport was developed later, later into your life. Yes. yes. You, you know, and for, Considering the fact that at 33 you won, what does that say about the sport now versus 2007, where you know the average age on the competition floor at any given moment is probably 24? Yeah, yeah. It just says that it's the it was an early adoption of uh, the concept of a sport. Um, it says that the sport is probably only in its truest form just over a decade old. Because I would say for the first couple of years they were still trying to organize exactly what it looks like. Um, and it just shows that it's a, uh, it's a really, uh, nice reflection of truths over time. Uh, meaning, uh, the, the more and more the sport develops, the more there'll be this separation between fitness versus sport, uh, which, which I really, I really like that fact. Is in basically you've taken that concept and created something right so many people when they first find crossfit are just like hey this is all about sport and you've i should ask you first what 
prompted you to create OPEX? Yeah, I was just about to say that it wasn't on the back of CrossFit. Uh, OPEX was really just fundamentally concepts of uh, fitness principle delivery. Um, and we do it through CCP, which is an education for coaches. Um, so CrossFit would be concept of fitness as to how it's delivered for mixed modal training um, inside of whatever I think fitness delivery should be. Um, so for, you know, I was practicing uh, fitness and coaching it for a decade prior to my introduction to CrossFit. Um, and so I have a, a good backbone of just the principles of strength and conditioning and you layer that on top of it. And that's what moved into um, what CCP is to today. So, and for those listening, you know, we have a lot of box owners, a lot of coaches. It, maybe I'm just a little jaded. I think everyone's heard of James Fitzgerald and OPEX, but, but for those that haven't, how mm -hmm. would you start to define what this is and where they could even begin to learn about it? Yeah, just go to opexfit.com, O-P-E-X-F-I-T.com. Um, and we have a pretty clear story there. Um, and uh, basically what we're trying to do is to raise the value of a fitness coach as our deepest mission um, and its professionalism and what it means. And we do that through the delivery of trying to download pieces of information into every person's skull um, on what principles are in fitness coaching. Um, and those five areas are wrapped around business building relationships, assessing individuals, giving program design and uh, nutrition and lifestyle practices. And uh, that's what we teach those five areas so that people can go out there and, and try to on the back end as outcomes, raise the value of a coach. So for those who don't know, you can just search opexfit.com and, you know, they'll be able to find, find some answers to, uh, to what that is. There's, there's so many programs out there these days that are trying to, professionalized coaching and trying to help coaches you know take their careers to the next level what's something where you guys stand out what what's different about opex than say a two brain or an active life or some of these other companies that are trying to also develop coaches yeah well first of all i find it fascinating there's so many systems out there that are trying to develop coaches including us just want to think about ponder that for a while it's a it's an interesting thing itself uh, secondly, um, I'm not sure because I don't really know the other systems well, but I would just say what we do. Um, we try to uh, give coaches tools that'll be helpful in the real world, um, meaning like what do coaches really need to do to get out there? Um, and I think what may differentiate us as well, I'm not really sure, is that we believe in uh, the long game approach for the coach, meaning that that coach is an entrepreneur themselves that can put food on the table for their children and also support their children going to university over time. We don't use those exact realities, but as a concept, we build the pieces in place so that the coach doesn't die in the process so that the long-term systems are set up for actual professional coach uh, ideas, not just technical, technical capabilities for a coach or not just you know, how to find people in the market, um, that unto itself may get you people or may make you seem very smart, but it doesn't provide a 30-year long-term goal for your professionalism as a coach. And so I think that's what we may, I don't know if we're better than others, but that's what we certainly focus on is um, autonomy for the coach 
and autonomy for the client. You know, growing up, I'm 41, so I'm just a few years younger than you, and I think we kind of probably developed the same way in fitness. Why do you think there still is kind of a stigma as far as the fitness trainer goes? I mean, to this day, my parents ask me when I'm going to get a real job. You know, I've written books, I've traveled the world, I've owned three affiliates. Mm -hmm. What's it going to take to truly professionalize the world of fitness trainers? I don't think it's, we're going to see that time. Um, to be honest, it doesn't mean we don't strive towards getting it, but, uh, um, it's not that important for the human race to, uh, become intentional and movement and exercise. I think that's the, that's the, you know, the low hanging fruit kind of conceptual tension. Um, and the purveyors of this information that we, you and I know, uh, what you and I know in principles of basic lifestyle guidelines, um, is not sexy. It's not sellable. It's so inside of whatever is offered, it's going to be chaos, you know, and madness. Um, and some could argue, well, it's because there's no regulation. It's like, <laughs> even if you do regulate it, um, no one gives a shit about it, <laughs> to be honest, like their deepest intentions, you know, to tell 7.7 billion people in the next two decades, you know, health is quite good. People are like, what? Yeah, yeah, the health is just something you do. So it can help support these other things that I want to do. And you can see even if it comes out of most, you know, billions of people's mouth like that, we have no chance in hell of sticking out as being like, I can help you with your, you know, better thoughts. And, and uh, I can help you not, you know, be crippled when you're 75. And I can help you, you know, grow your business because I can give you some ideas around good physical challenges and improve your cognitive function. Like, <laughs> Well, a lot of what you're, preaching and a lot of what you put out there also like you've mentioned has to do with your your cognitive function and things like mindset do you think it's going to take that the the combination of all of those efforts so the idea that hey a fitness trainer just gets you stronger isn't necessarily the case but it's that they actually get you better at life uh do i think that will occur over time not only will it occur but do you think that's what will what is necessary in order to professionalize? Oh yeah, that's what I believe is necessary, but chance of it happening pretty slim in percentages, what, you know. What's slowing it down? I mean, we have people like you, we, you know, oh, we have these it's other- back to the, It's back to the original point. What's slowing it down is that there has to be a conversation and a fundamental belief in movement and physical challenges being important. But biologically, we don't need it today for evolution purposes and reproduction. And like you and I think we do, but we don't. Um, it's not functional. Like for what you and I are doing right now, we're sitting in a chair reading each other across a computer, right? So I don't need to have a great bench in order to do that. Um, and because there's like, we're like three generations deep where, you know, fitness and exercise has been seen as a duct tape approach. We have no chance in hell of turning it around. It doesn't mean that the marginal percentages of who we'll work with or speak about won't shift some people's perspectives, but, but for that to bleed out to be uh, viral, it's slim. What would you tell box owners that they need to focus on, right? So, so many box owners get involved and I think to this day, they're kind of like, hey, if I survive, I survive, this is great. I'm doing what I enjoy. You know, it's, it's better than sitting behind a desk, but not many will ultimately get the same level of success. And of course we can, 
you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your definition of success, but what would you tell the box owners out there that, that feel that way? Uh, feel which way? Feel just that, you know, like you're saying, this isn't ever going to be a necessity. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to survive. Like, hey, I'll make 30, 40, $50,000. Yeah, support yeah, my just keep that's your advice just keep doing it well if if they if they believe what i believe that it's not going to make a dent then what what do what am i what am i going to tell them so what what's your motivation and if you if you believe that what's your motivation you work so hard clearly to to develop this program you you know you've traveled the world much like i have teaching other trainers you know the list of trainers that you've coached are some of the most well-recognized and best in the world, right? We've had, we just had Jason Layden on the podcast and he speaks very highly of you, someone that I respect as a coach. So what, what motivates you to continue to create this, to continue to put the content out there? I think so that there'll be some individuals on this planet that will become more conscious of the fact of what fitness can do for other people's lives. And uh, if I get, you know, uh, 30 people that rise up over time that see that, that's great. If it's a thousand, that's great. If it's 25, that's great too. Uh, so my motivation is just to um, send out ideas and, and uh, um, creative thought strategies. And if people pick that out and then come up with their own rendition of whatever that's going to look like, then I think, you know, I'll, uh, I think that would be deemed as being, you know, uh, successful. Um, but I don't have motivation to do that. I think it's just, it's just what I do and it, and it kind of, kind of lends itself to, uh, happening. Um, I think I'd probably get burnt if I was motivated to get up and try to push the spider webs out, you know, to, uh, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, so I just kind of put it out there and let it run itself. At, at 46, what motivates you to continue to train at the level you train? Uh, well, the level that I train at is, you know, relatively to the global planet is, uh, I'm a fucking Adonis compared to the planet. Uh, well, people. yeah. I mean, c- compared to just the average CrossFitter, you're yeah. still really, really fit. Yeah. No, I just wanted to create some, just so I, let me finish my sentence so people can clarify what I mean by that. Um, you know, cause, and then I have my own relative capabilities, right? Like I have my own unique history of physical expression, right? So where I am in relation to that, I'm much less fit and less capable than what I used to be. Um, and then um, I do have a, a long-term strategy now to be able to exercise every day. Um, I love doing movement every day. Um, I discover so much about that. I, I meditate through it. I, I uh, create some really interesting you know, thought experiments because I'm in that place of focus and I'm very centered uh, when I get to move every day. Um, in different ways. And uh, I still love doing, you know, physical challenges, you know, testing myself on what I am or what I'm not capable of as a feedback loop to determine exactly where I sit right now. Um, and because of all my experiences, my, my goal is just consistency. You know, I, um, there's finite capabilities for each of us biologically, um, you know, and let's just think about that. I'm not going to have the same capabilities now and I will in 20 years, uh, but I'd like to still have movement strategies that I can overcome in, in 30 years or 35 years. Right. Um, and I will die as a period of time. Um, and I, and I have a finite time to kind of create as many experiences as I can, um, to essentially 
you know, in my belief, just try to figure out the entire time, just keep asking questions on uh, why I'm doing what I'm doing. When you say you meditate through your workouts, what does that mean? Uh, well, it's meditation would be common language that people would understand today. Um, I, I, I partnered it up with the word presence uh, or focus. Uh, to me, those are interchangeable. Um, so when I do exercise and uh, breathe and get centered, um, and I'm not thinking about anything else, I am really in a meditative practice, which is uh, connecting breath and where my body is and spatial awareness and, um, and just noticing my noticing, like looking at my thoughts. Um, you know, so that could be through multiple different kinds of exercise. Uh, so that's what I meant by it. You were an early adopter to CrossFit, certainly one of the, you know, when you probably started training CrossFit, what, 2005 or six? Yeah, late four and five is when I started posting as uh, every day. And, and for those that weren't around back then, you and this other gentleman who went by the initials AFT. Yeah, Brett. Were like, were the two guys that everybody was chasing after. It was really competitive going into the games. And I'd love to hear about that, but you were an early adopter to CrossFit. You were also an early adopter to the assault bike. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, nowadays it's pretty commonplace. What drew you to that piece of equipment way back when? I, I remember, you know, you were one of the first people that put out the 100 calories and just intervals going on there. And I had an Airdyne in my attic that I used to ride for wrestling, but not the same way that we know how to ride an assault bike these days. Mm -hmm. what, what got you on that bike for the first time? And then what made you think, okay, the world needs to use this thing? Yeah, I think it uh, it just was like showing up in all those early adopter, you know, intense models, you know, because um, from the late 90s till 2003, 4, 5, we were trying to really come up with strategies of increased physical performance on the groundwork of what we had been given, right, which was truly just resistance training and then uh, cyclical endurance activities, right? So the typical you lift weights and you do absolute strength training um, and weightlifting was saved for like, you know, the Olympic athletes um, or some sport professionals. And then there was like running on a track or biking. Right. And so then after this in the late nineties, you got these new concepts of like, well, how do we involve these other modalities? And this is where the bike, which has been around since the seventies actually in multiple different ways kind of went through this, you know, uh, you know, different waves of exercise where exercise was seen as like something that was going to be challenging, right? It's the same as the bursar climber, very similar story, but we got weaker as a planet. Um, and anything that we were going to do for aerobic activity, we tried to find the least resistance and the easiest way to do it. And so that's when, um, you know, um, elliptical trainers and treadmills, you know, the, it's just whatever shit you can be easy, you know, that's what we want to do, right? Bands over barbells, get my point. So, so in this 2003, four, five, six, seven, um, you know, we went after, or me, me, and a number of other people who were interested in all these modalities, we went after shit that was challenging, right? And what was there was that fucking airdyne, you know, that never, never faltered with giving you the right dose response, right? We call it airdyne because it was, it was Airdyne is the name of it uh, back in the day. And now we're like, gosh, you know, 20 years removed from that. And we have this wonderful, you know, rendition of something that's not going to break down every few weeks. 
that just gives you an unbelievable dose response. So there's a long history to that. People can, you know, you can actually, this is a product placement opportunity here. You can watch on, <laughs> on uh, well, it's, it's free. You can watch on YouTube um, some information that I share on energy system training on the assault bike as well as the assault runner, but uh, I'll stop there. What do you think it's going to take for the Versa climber to become as prominent as, as the assault bike has? Yeah, good question. I think it needs to be bought by a larger company that wants to have some creativity and design so that they can scale it effectively. Um, I just don't think, uh, and this is just my perspective, so I don't mean to step on anyone's toes here, but um, whoever is in control of it, the manufacturing and the, they just don't see the power of it like, like uh, Rogue and Assault did. Um, where they worked as hard as possible to get this machine to a point where it can be scaled, decrease the margins so much so that they can just push it out, you know, um, and that takes someone who owns that entire thing to go, yeah, this is a really solid piece of equipment that is challenging and you just got to get a right language behind it. Yeah, it's almost laughable when you walk into a standard gym and there's a Versa climber because you know no one oh, is using that. it. No. Yeah. I, if they are, they're just going, <laughs> you know, yeah, or it's just a very, you know, five minute warm up. It's the warm up yeah. piece of equipment. Yeah. So from in 2004 5, you find CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, you go on to win the games. At what point did you realize, okay, my training has to change? My training has to adapt. I know you went back in 2008 and you, you had some cramps and you ultimately had to withdraw from the competition. But was that the moment where you're like, okay, things need to change if I'm going to be able to keep up with this sport? Or was it simply a matter of pursuing, you know, the best version of yourself? Yeah, no, I think, well, 2009 was when I had, when I had the physical issues, um, but I shouldn't have been there. Um, but I, I remember doing stuff in 2008, early 2008, prior to the 2008 games, where um, it was only due to the movie that I was really intrinsically pulled to go back to the games like I knew that I was amongst a whole bunch of young whippersnappers who were following me on my blog as well as I was coaching but I was like yeah this is different you know these guys are a decade in age and difference uh, they recover a whole lot faster and they're like dying to have more right like why can't we do doubles why can't we do these these things on top of it it's like okay well I guess that's what you're capable of doing um, but for me um, I I, I was grateful for the fact that I still had that somewhat of a competitive instinct inside of me because I could, I could lean up against what the balancing things are in terms of physical performance versus health. So I was able to, through those challenging physical experiences, recognize that there's a sweet spot for longevity and health, um, and it's nowhere near what I was doing. Uh, with regards to competitive nature uh, fitness. Um, and so, you know, when you can't do those functional cognitive physical things and you're like the fittest person on earth, there's a beautiful dichotomy there at place that, um, you know, I became staunchly aware of, you know, over 2008, 9, 10. Um, and remember what was my day job when I took off the OPT, you know, uh, cloak it wasn't a superhero fucking flashing thing in the back. It was a cloak. Um, was I, you know, I had uh, two young children, a wonderful relationship. And, uh, 
clients that were just dying to learn about this concept of what fitness is, right? So I, uh, I had that always as a beautiful uh, eye-opener. You know, I think, if anything, this you know, quarantine time is going to teach some people, hey, you don't need to do as much of the box. You don't need to train as hard to, to live a healthy, happy lifestyle. But what's some advice you would give to people out there that, especially those young people that find CrossFit or find whatever sport and they just try to do too much too soon? Hmm. Yeah, if you're, if you're putting it into age categories, I think, you know, we need to recognize that from, you know, 18 to 25, their, their brains are not fully developed, right? So we, and we could argue that all the fuck, all the time we want, but they're just really not developed yet. Um, and based upon research, you know, what you're looking at, you know, the, they're slower to get even to that maximal development today as a whole. Right. And that's some proven stuff, depending upon what literature you want to look at. Um, so you have to recognize that you also have to recognize that, um, they will not have a connection or concept around the meaning of exercise. Right. So you got to remember that they were birthed from a population that, you know, probably passed on to them in belief that, um, exercise is just what you do. So you don't get fat right? Or uh, exercise is what you do so you can eat what you want. Or exercise is what you do because that's just what we do, like white picket fence, get a job, go to university. You know, these are the intentions that are built inside of that young group. So, you know, what would I tell those young whippersnappers? Um, I would tell them to uh, just ask the question every now and then of like, well, why, why are you really doing it? Right. And be okay with whatever you come up with. Um, but just recognize that that story will probably change over time. What, what's one thing you used to believe about fitness that you no longer believe? Oh, uh, let's see. Well, I'll use that age category. Uh, between 18 and 24, I probably thought that fitness was going to allow me to fundamentally get a partner. Um, so I can be seen as someone that's worth anything uh, worth reproducing with. Um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it was kind of, uh, had a veil over it of like, you know, look good naked, um, doing exercise will keep you lean, but the deepest intentions down below are that, you know, I want to get a partner. I want to mate and I want to show myself, you know, um, I think that's probably what, what my beliefs were then. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know if that really I don't know if that changed per se. Well, it has changed because now I don't see it that way, but you know what I mean? In my brain at that time, I really thought that was the, that was why you did it. Right. Um, so, and I don't know. So I guess that, that, that's the answer is I guess that's one area that uh, things have changed over time. There's probably a thousand others just based upon, you know, 20 years, you just learn a whole lot, I guess, in exercise. Yeah, and maybe it's just because I found fitness at the same time, you know, as a teenager, I think anyone that finds it back then in their life, that's really what they're thinking. Hey, I just want to look jacked and, you know, be an alpha male or female, and that'll let me find someone else. And yeah, we, we realize, hey, there has to be more to it, especially if we're going to suffer like this, you know, or, or just, in, well, what, what's your thinking there? <laughs> you know, because you said... Well, you said we will realize that there's something more to this, but the that's only a select few that come to that. Um, what yeah. was that moment for you? Uh, of the uh, realization? 
yeah. Um, it wasn't a moment, I think. It was probably a collection of a thousand different things. I think that's why I honor the aspect of continuing to exercise, right, and experiment and play uh, because it gets you to come up with these thoughts that you gather in a whole over time that are like some truth based upon that, right? As opposed to like a couple instances where you're like, oh, that's the truth right there. You know, it's like, no, we'll give it time, do a thousand of those iterations and let's see if it gets there. But I think uh, it wasn't a specific moment. It was just a collection of a whole type of things that, as I said, just kept giving me feedback to my life I was living to saying like, well, there is a, there's a spot for that. And this is where it should sit. And this is how it should add to who you are as a person, you know, not subtract or not, uh, not uh, uh, radiate, right? It shouldn't help you radiate determining who you are, uh, if that makes sense. You, you've written so many workouts over the years and you, you post them to this day. Is mm. there one workout that you think about that you're the most proud of either because it's terrible from a painful perspective or just because the the results you you feel that it yields or the way it tests people is there any one workout that you would throw out as like this is what i this is my legacy as far as workouts go <laughs> yeah no I, I don't think there's one but for um but i you do ask a good question that i probably should spend a little bit more time uh thinking about that just for not only just to answer this question to have something to speak about but for my own uh, uh reminiscing um but there you know there is a couple of different instances one where i i speak about it often and i think that's probably why it's on the tip of my tongue it's probably top of mind from different conversations or this question asked differently um was i went i would call it like off track of dot com to try to improve my linda time which is uh um deadlift clean and bench press as a part of your body weight um, and I always thought that was a really interesting way of testing oneself, not absolute comparisons to others, but it's like you have to work against your own body weight percentages and then move load in a way, you know, with good form, et cetera, that, you know, I just thought it was an excellent way of uh, testing oneself, you know? Um, and so I went off track for, you know, for maybe a two year plan to kind of do these little, you know, pre and post.com activities, knowing that when that would knowing, knowing when that come up, I would have like strategy in place and correct body weight strength capabilities and this unbroken concept of being able to do all those things. Right. Um, yeah. And so I remember doing that and having what you're asking there, that really deep, um, you know, how would I describe it sounding too woo-woo? It's like out-of-body experience, I guess you could really say, where I don't remember a lot of it, but I do remember reminiscing on the floor after, just lying, watching the fan move around, and then recognizing that 30 minutes had passed after the workout was over, because you had always had the timer that you looked at, and then, you know, it's like, oh, now it's like 45 minutes on the clock, or it's like, what the fuck? So, um, is Linda would be one of those. That was ten nine eight seven six five four three two one. Um two times body weight. No, one point five times body weight deadlift, uh body weight bench press and seventy five percent body weight clean. And you had to do it uh in that order and uh yeah, so that would be one where it's for the ages, I guess you could say. 
Well, that was always one of my favorites because I weigh about 145. So I always got to go a lot lighter than my buddies. Yeah. Do you remember what your, what your best? Yes, yeah, Spieler used to crush that. Do you remember your best times for that? Yeah, I think I, yeah I think I broke uh, 14 minutes at uh, 168. Um, 168 pounds and I broke 14 minutes. And I thought for me, for what I was uh, trying to accomplish, that was what I was trying to get it down to. They use it a few years ago at regionals as well, but with standard weights or set yeah. weights, I should say. Yeah. And, you know, it definitely changes the the initial stimulus of that workout for, for different yeah. people. Yeah. What about a workout that you actually wrote yourself? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I would have to. <laughs> Did- I would have to. I mean, I've done so many of them. But, I, I again, I'd have to reminisce on that one, like really think hard about it. I think one of the first ones that comes to mind from you was just the old, you know, like 300 calories on the bike or, you know, a, a hundred calories, you know, all of those tests remind me of, you know, I was definitely, there's a period of time at Albany CrossFit, the first box home where we were following, you know, your training and we had our different levels. And I remember just doing that so many times and, and, the, the feelings you would get prior were, were the worst. You know how bad it was going to hurt. The, the, the anticipation of the workout was always worse than the workout itself. Yeah. Well, I didn't, uh, the, the 10 minute cals or 300 cals I didn't come up with. That was a, a Jim Jones uh, variety or spin on it. Um, but I think our usage of the bike for sure has made some people uh, throw up a little in their mouth prior to doing it. Something else that it, I, I noticed about you when I was doing a little bit of research is just how many books you seem to be reading and putting out there. Do you have any that you would tell box owners or coaches, Hey, this is something you definitely need to, or just anyone on, on the planet. Like these are the three books I'd recommend or a book you'd recommend. Uh, no, not a book, but I would ask uh, just folks to maybe, um, you know, you really got to test it out to see if it's a way that you learn, right? You got to, you know, so I'm not going to tell people to read books and they don't get anything from it, but, um, and there's no specific topic because people can come up with some strategies of great coaching by uh, reading fiction, you know, over and over, you know, so, um, you know, I wouldn't say any three books, um, but I would say uh, just dedicate some time to reading, um, if anything. And, uh, and if I was to virtue signal, it, I would say like a real book, you know, not a Kindle, not off your phone, not an article, New York Times article, like an actual book, you open up flip pages. I think there's something in that, that the group you're asking about would get something from, which is uh, relax, uh, sit back and focus, um, take some notes on something. And I think just that practice itself, whether it's a fucking 11 year old's book, you know, you it takes you half an hour to read, you'll get a lot from that, just the practice of it. And I think that'll lead them into some directions, um, if that makes sense, as opposed to giving a book um, that would just, like, be very threatening to them. <laughs> you know, they, they may not be ready for that. So they'll read something that really uh, makes, makes them think like, uh, I'm an asshole or a nihilistic uh, maniac. We're all dealing with the same thing right now. You know, we're recording this on a Monday. The episode will be on a Friday. I'm assuming unless the world completely shifts, we're still going to be in the same situation on Friday. Mm -hmm. When we come out of this, Mm -hmm. 
what impact do you think it's going to have on the world of fitness? Uh, well, I think some people will have a hard time getting back up to speed. Uh, I think that's like all industry. We're not any different than any other industry. Um, and unfortunately, some will be lost in it. Um, we don't need to get muddled down into the morality around that, but uh, they'll, they'll get lost in it unfortunate for some and could be some good reboot to, for a different profession for others. Um, and there's a lot in that, but, uh, as a, as a whole, I don't think, a, I don't think much, I don't think it'll affect it much. Um, back to my original point on intentions and, and, uh, ideas. I think it may like nudge the speed of this transition towards automation and artificial intelligence and virtual reality inside of fitness. I think it'll, it'll nudge that to speed up a tiny bit. Um, yeah. Do you, do you think we're going to see more people staying at home to train, realizing, hey, I can work out at home? This For a lot of people, this may be their first time, you know, training in their extra bedroom or their garage, you know, avoiding the box, not necessarily because of, you know, disease, but just out of ease and, and cost, staying at home to train. No, it's not long enough. It's not not a big enough dent. Um, no, I don't think so. So you think quarantine's op over, box doors open or gym doors open, everyone's leaving and going back? If not then, then over time. It's oh. not long enough to change behaviors. I mean, changing behaviors is arguably impossible in humans anyways, but the uh, just read Daniel Kahneman's stuff on that and they'll mind fuck you a little bit around, well, what are they in behaviors and free will versus determinism, et cetera. Um, so I don't think it's long enough. If this was like, okay, you're locked in for three years. Yeah. You know, it's, but it's not long enough. I don't think, um, to make an impact on the behaviors. You strike me as someone who's very regimented. You have your routines. What are you doing now to make sure you stay focused? You stay productive during this time? Um, I'm just picking up on your words, stay, uh, well, it, it, with the implication that you typically are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to stay consistent, I guess, you know, um, I like to, uh, I guess, keep rhythm the same, no matter what changes would occur. It's not like something like this has happened in my lifetime, you know, 18 times or every couple of years. So it's fairly new, but, um, not a lot has shifted in my, uh, my day to day rhythm of that. Um, so yeah, I just try to keep things as same as possible. Get up at the same time, come in same time, do exercise at the same time, eat the same time, learn at the same time. Um, and then, uh, there's some things that I'm not doing relative to the current time. Um, but, uh, in those cases there, then now I'm shifting to create, uh, more help in other areas. So my priorities have just changed, uh, more recently which I kind of enjoy uh, being at home a little bit more and, uh, and spending time with our, uh, our little uh, tight knit family that we have um, and activities with them. So um, that's been a, that's been a good shift. Good change. Last question, looking back over your years as a, as a competitor in the space of fitness, what was your favorite year of training? Obviously of your 2007 championship, was that the, was that the year that you had the most fun and you're the most proud of, or was it another year or even another sport? 
Yeah, that's a good one. First thing comes to mind is that uh, I guess in, in the continuum of enjoyment, none of the years of com- competition were enjoyable. Um, I don't think they're supposed to be, but you know, I, I love like on levels of enjoyment. I, my past year have been the most enjoyable because <laughs> uh, I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Um, I can change up every time. Um, you get my drift. Like I have full agency, true agency of what I want to do, you know? Um, so that would be the most enjoyable, but you, you do raise a good, again, another good question that I probably should sit with, sit with for a while. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it could have been, it could have been very well. Like the first year after rehab, when I was 18, I hurt my leg and then had to kind of reinvent my whole self. Um, because I was forced to. <laughs> um, and so I think that was probably a really enjoyable year because I was coming off a really low point, you know? Um, so I think that probably would have been my, my, uh, my greatest year. And I think if I was to wrap the characteristics around what, what made that year like that, it was, uh, you know, words of, uh, like a rebirth and, uh, and, uh, it was built with intentions, you know? And it was built with, uh, you know, these finding these new physical challenges, et cetera. And I think that's what made it enjoyable. For, for someone that wasn't around back in 2007, you know, they find CrossFit in 10, 11, 12, et cetera. Yeah. Is there any way for you to explain to them what that was like back then to show up and compete in, you know, in Aromas versus what they're seeing these days? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a less total number of events. Uh, there was less competitors. Um, it was a little bit more raw in nature than what it seemingly looks like for polished perspective today. Um, yeah. And then, uh, outside of that, uh, just maybe the, the intentions inside of us doing it were a little different than relative to today. Um, I would say, you know, just for, conversation sake a little bit more amateur than and more professional style looking now um yeah, that's that's how i'd start it you know to try to describe the differences well when you were making the trek because you were in canada at the time mm-hmm. to to aromas mm-hmm. and, and i don't you know like you said earlier opex would have grown everything would have come about regardless you were moving in that direction but mm-hmm. was there any part of you that thought on that journey to Aromas, like, hey, this is going to be something that I'm potentially remembered for? No. Uh, we, you know, Brett and I, to bring him back into it, AFT, we had had the conversation throughout all of our training and then, and then after this that the actual event was going to definitely lead to something big. Like we said, oh, yeah, man, in, in years' time, this is going to be in Vegas, you know, crowds people watching these people going at it you know under the lights and that's what you got you know in in Carson um on the Sunday night right um or Sunday afternoon sorry um but yeah for myself no and at that time I didn't think about that but you were right you were right I mean that's ultimately what it did become um but you know it's 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 really great to have been able to chat with you I think you know, you've, you've always been someone that I've admired, not just from a fitness perspective, if anything, more so from what you've done after that. You know, it's, it's, it's impressive to see what you've done. It's impressive to see the, the coaches you've had an impact on. And I'm really 
honored to have you on the show. So thank you so much for coming on. Okay, no problem. And we'll definitely send everybody, you know, make sure that they check out opexfit.com and you, you guys are constantly putting out some great content. So, so seek that out. And, and li like you said, you know, if you're doing all these things with intention, I think the you'll be successful. So I thank agree. you so much. You're welcome. Thanks again for listening to best hour of their day. And thanks again to our special guest. We appreciate all you guys do for us with best hour of their day. When it comes to sharing our posts on Instagram, when it comes to subscribing to us on YouTube, when it comes to the constant feedback, we are grateful and we appreciate it. We are trying to build a community based on coaching development and becoming the best version of yourself. And it goes without saying that we couldn't do without all of you. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Season one of Dropping In is out. We are getting tremendous feedback and we'd love for you to check it out. Leave us a comment on there. Head over to our Instagram. Give us a follow. Like our pictures. Feel free to share anything that resonates with you. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback for us, please don't hesitate. Email us, besthouroftheirday at gmail.com. Thanks again. Until the next episode, we hope you've had the best hour of your day.